Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week, we're joined by filmmaker and outdoors person, Ben Stacy. From investigating paranormal activities to paddling the Trent Severn Waterway, Ben shares some amazing stories from his travels, as well as some awesome camping trips to be safe, respect the environment, and get outside. Enjoy the show. All right, sir. Cheers. Cheers, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's no clink when we're not in the mm. same room. I got to add some sound effects, I think. That's that's what's missing. Because uh, I usually get into, okay, so what are you drinking? So you had to introduce me to your drink, and you're, you're going coconut coconut theme yeah okay so so i'm not normally a big drinker drinker like right but you suggest oh we gotta have a cheer so i thought i better get something i had some coconut rum lying around so i got some coconut rum. i specifically just got back from the grocery store getting some pineapple pop to go with it and that's what i'm having i um, love it yeah so i'm probably gonna have a headache after this because i don't drink much but i also got uh, like a pepsi to go to wash it down <laughs> to wash it down and the good thing is with that is we determined that your headache would come after this podcast. Yes, so right. I'll probably get some messages from you afterwards, uh, <laughs> ruining the day that I suggested a, a cheers drink. So I, I do apologize. I should have been a little bit more specific <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, on that. But it. hey, listen, I wanted to thank you very much for sitting down with me. Yeah, um, no problem. We, uh, we reconnected after many, many years. Uh, two years ago, I believe it was. We, Something we like reconnected. that, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, filling, filling you in on what I was hoping to do with podcasting, and then you were filling me on, in on what you were doing. Now, I kind of want to start a little bit with your background and where you came from, where we met, and then where you ended up back at. Uh, because I actually think your journey is quite interesting. I was digging around on the old internet, uh, and I came across your IMDb. Oh, which cool. It's, you it's are not complete. I need, I need to add more to it. Yeah, you got to add it because you're officially the first person I've had on here with an IMDb profile. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Uh, you're, you're definitely a snag there. So um, it mentions uh, Ben Stacy pictures, uh, which I believe is your photography arm. Well, of... no, I just I, for ages, I called myself Ben Stacy pictures. I, I, I basically operate as an independent producer under my name. Okay. Uh, considering incorporating two men in a canoe productions, but we'll see. That's cool. Yeah, because now see, here's the thing that's interesting to me. First of all, I thought it was cool that it says that you're inspired by Star Wars. Yes. Uh, that so that I mean that's amazing because we we had a little bit of conversations about movies and stuff like that. So Star Wars was was your first love, eh? Yeah, I mean I think a lot of filmmakers my age, Star Wars. I remember getting the behind the scenes. There's a magazine behind the scenes for Return of the Jedi, and it, I, it was specifically that that maybe said I want to make movies. So that's why I went into into filmmaking because because of Star Wars. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. So you must have also a, a pretty good appreciation for another movie that you and I talked about, which was 2001: uh, A Space Odyssey. It's a good movie. Yes. Yeah. You know what? It's one of those movies when I was younger, I thought it was boring, but I can appreciate it a lot more now. Yeah, with like 54 words in the dialogue, it's not going to hold the kids' attention. No. no. Right? <laughs> but from a movie-making point of view, yeah, it's it's right up there. So you studied at York University. Yes, uh, I did. Yeah, I went for, uh, I didn't finish. I went for a year and a bit. Um, basically, I ran out of money because, uh, you know, I thank God I'm not going now. Tuition's way more expensive now than it was back then. But tuition plus the cost of being in film school. Uh, 
yeah, it was just, plus you learn all the basics in year one. Oh. And it's not like you can go, you know, to a studio with a film degree and say, I have a film degree. Can I direct your next movie? You just have to kind of get out there and do it, I guess, you just right? just have to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what ended up happening then? You ended up leaving school. What did you end up doing at that point in time? Did you start shooting independent stuff at that at that point? Or? I was, after after I left York, I was doing um, a lot of, I did a lot of wedding videos. Oh, yes. <laughs> not my favorite thing to do. Um, and and other small corporate and commercial videos. Uh, I was assistant director on a friend's uh, feature that we did in 1991, an independent feature. So that was pretty cool. He's actually restoring that right now to see if he can resell it. Very um, cool. He's, he's shocked at how, how bad it looks compared, <laughs> compared to what he remembered it has. So is that a remastering process that he's going through with that? Yeah, unfortunately, they don't have the, uh, the original. I think he might have the original negative somewhere, but he, he can't do a... a transfer so he's having to take a standard def copy up res it clean it up and and so oh, on wow yeah. that's one of the things with uh, with covid and not a lot of movies like new movies coming out we've been going back and watching a lot of old movies yeah. and you know coming across a lot of movies that have been remastered and actually marveling at how well the remastered ones look because I think I have it in my mind that remastering is just doing what you did said there, just kind of cleaning up an old version. But I'm imagining with these, with the ones that they have the original uh, footage well, they, shot if on. If they have the original footage, if it's on film, you can scan it at 4K. And like, if you can rescan the film, because it's got the resolution there. So, yeah. It's amazing the, the technology and, and how, uh, how far it's come since like we were, you know, rising through the 80s and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Way different. Um. So you, now we had met now, I don't know where this comes into your professional journeys, but we actually met in the financial field. Uh, I knew that you had experience with film and photography, but I had no idea of anything at that point in time, but we met and that would have been probably about 18, 20 years ago that we met. Um, yeah, do your math. It's actually more. Is um, it more? It was oh, before God. 2000. <laughs> Oh my God, it is. It's over 20 years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got into that. So make being a filmmaker is tough. Like if an independent filmmaker, that's a tough thing to do. Uh, it, you know, it's expensive to do stuff. And, you know, it, anyway, any, anybody knows that. So I was working a bunch of other little jobs, but then the opportunity came to get into financial services. And there is potential to make a lot of money in financial services. So my thinking had been, well, I'll go into financial services where I can potentially make a lot of money, which will allow me to make movies. <clears throat> I could then finance my own stuff. Problem was, I don't think I liked financial services enough to be actually any good at it. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I didn't, didn't make much money at all. <laughs> and interesting, you know, Star Wars got me into film. Uh, is another George Lucas uh, property that made me realize I was in the wrong place. I don't know if you ever remember the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yes, was, we were was, actually just pretty, talking about this on the weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. really? It, yeah. it was, it's pretty cool, actually. I, I think I have uh, a DVD set somewhere. But anyway, there was an episode where young Indiana Jones was uh, on this mission to find some, I think it was a giant diamond or something like that. And uh, it had been stolen by some people and they were chasing them down and following all sorts of leads. And they ended up on this island in the South Pacific somewhere. In the show, they met all sorts of famous people. And I can't remember what person this was, but it was a famous uh, professor or doctor or somebody that was living in the South Pacific at that time that he ran into in this episode. And uh, he asked young Indiana Jones 
he's like, uh, so what will you do, you know, once you find this diamond? And he goes, well, I'll probably go back to the States and become an archaeologist. And he said, okay, cool. So time's going on and the, the trail is drying up. They, they're, no, they're getting further and further away from finding it. So the guy asks young Indiana Jones, he goes, so what will you do if you don't find this diamond? He goes, well, I'll probably go back to the States and become an archaeologist. He goes, you don't need the diamond then. So that made me realize, I'm like, holy, am I allowed to swear? Absolutely. Shit. <laughs> That's not that big a swear. Um, holy shit. Why am I doing this? Because I wanted to make money so I can make movies. My backup plan is if this doesn't work, I'm going to go and find a way to make movies. Why the hell am I doing this? So I left, ended up you know, doing other odd jobs while getting back into doing stuff. And then got into doing a lot of corporate and commercial uh, videos, a couple of small, you know, independent TV things and, uh, and stuff. And then most recently, um, a little TV show for uh, Five TV One called Get Outside. Done three seasons of that. So, yeah, it's it's amazing, and and we're going to get into that in more detail because I I did get a chance to watch some episodes, uh, and it was very cool. It's so funny that you say Young Indiana Jones because as I'm watching Two Men in a Canoe, which you can find on YouTube on your YouTube channel, mm-hmm. and I was and watching Get Outdoors or Get Outside. That's exactly what I was thinking about was Indiana Jones. Um, you're commuting so much, especially with the two men in the canoe, because you guys are out there and you're chopping up wood and you're hiking. And all I can think to myself is these guys are just out there basically gathering. You're not hunting, but you're doing the gathering part of hunter gathering. And then, and then, and then sitting down and enjoying being outside. And and that's kind of what I I, identified with. I guess we should backtrack a little bit into my history. Obviously I, I do, I'm an outdoors person as well. So I've been backcountry camping. My very first trip would have been when I was maybe 18, 19, something like that. Uh, And then on and off for maybe 10 years after that, but then pretty regularly since then. And starting in 2015, I started filming all the the journeys that I went on and that created two men in a canoe because it was me and my buddy, Tim, you know, Tim, we met, I I do met Tim in uh, financial services as well. Absolutely. Um, And so we filmed most of our journeys and some of them now are on my own and with other people. And um, yeah, it, it's a good, great way of combining the passions of filmmaking and in the outdoors. So I love it. And then that led to Get Outside, which again, we'll, yeah. we'll get into a little bit more detail. One of the things that I wanted to kind of touch on was something that we had discovered completely by accident. I did. I discovered completely by accident. I was talking to you about a gentleman that I had met that has a coffee shop here just outside of Oshawa. And uh, I was, I was wowed. I was like, yeah, this guy's got a coffee shop. It's horror themed. It's right up my alley. And he used to have a paranormal activity show. And you're like, uh, yeah, his name is Brad. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, how the hell do you know him? And you, you guys work together on this paranormal, sh- paranormal activity show. Is that correct? Yeah. We produced, I produced this. It, the group was called Proof, which was the Paranormal Researchers of Ontario. And the F was sort of in brackets because it was for fear. You know, fear is the, is the only variable. Nice. And then, so I would film our, um, our investigations that we did and put together a little YouTube show uh, for that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. What was your experience like with that? Because we had a brief conversation about it and we didn't get into much detail about it. But since that time, I've, I've been pondering it and I was like, how was your experience? Were you a skeptic going in at first or were you a believer? And how did that experience kind of change your views on that stuff? I... I'm a skeptic and even more skeptical since investigating the paranormal. So, okay, here's the thing. I love ghost stories. Ghost stories I find fascinating. 
scary, they're great. I have a great imagination. So I can get scared when we're in a creepy old building. That's, that's, that's easy. But I don't think there's anything actual paranormal going on. Others in the group were hardcore believers in it. Um, the good thing about the group that we had was we had people that wholeheartedly believed in the paranormal and people that were sort of maybe half and half. And then someone like me who was totally skeptical and would question everything. But we, we respected each other and never sort of put down the other person's views. So, yeah, but it was just neat. The more, the more I did it, <laughs> by investigating the paranormal, I'm even more sure that there is no such thing as ghosts. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a lot of fun, though. Yeah, I'll ask the blatant question that everybody is is wondering out there: any indications at all that there are paranormal activity? There's in... some weird stuff that happens. Mm -hmm. um, some of it I can't explain, but I'm not going to jump to the conclusion that it's it's paranormal because there's also other possible explanations before you get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, now that, like I said, I can get scared in a in a scary place. We did one at, uh, there's this really cool place, which you can actually go visit in Picton, Ontario. It's an old, um, I think it was a military hospital and then became some kind of mental institution for a while. Uh, now it's, it's it was abandoned and now it is a paintball place. So if you wanna go play paintball, you can, you can go there, but it's three big old hospital buildings sort of connected together with corridors. And we were there, we've been there multiple times and it's, it's the typical what you would expect you know, think of as a haunted building. We took some people from uh, Space Channel there one Halloween, they were doing a little special and we took them up there. And we had done a tour of the first big building and we we're heading down this corridor to the second building and the batteries in my flashlight were dying. So I'm like, you guys run ahead. I'm gonna go back to the car, get some more batteries. Forgetting now that I had to walk through half of this building on my own <laughs> with a flashlight that was getting dimmer and dimmer. So I'm walking down these long corridors with these doorways into darkness on the sides. and. Yeah, I have a good imagination. So I'm imagining something jumping out and grabbing me. So like, it, it's scary. But the fact is, there's nothing there. <laughs> so yeah, no, it, it is, there's been some really weird things. We did one in a jail, the old Peterborough jail, which unfortunately has been knocked down now. Yeah, I wanted and, to get to that, but uh, I didn't make it there until, before they ripped it down. Yeah, and in there, we were doing, we, we'd set up some uh, security cameras, night vision security cameras around the place. And it's very echoey in an old jail. So we didn't want to contaminate. So we had put two guys outside in the courtyard and then it was me and this other guy inside. And um, one guy was monitoring the monitors for the, the security cameras. And at some point we had walkie talkies to communicate back and forth. And we were shooting both shooting video inside and outside. And the walkie talkie goes off and we're like, hmm, what's that? And we're like, was that you guys? It's like, no, it wasn't us. Okay, great, no problem. And this whistling comes through the walkie talkie and it was whistling. And we're like, okay, that's weird. Was that you guys? Nope. And fortunately we have video at the same time from both inside and outside so that we know nobody was playing any tricks on anybody. And that's something we never did. We never played tricks on each other because it just contaminates evidence. But if an outside observer could now see that we have video evidence both sides, nobody's doing anything. So it was just weird. We probably picked up a passing CB or something. But what was really cool about that was about two or three hours before when we were setting up, I was talking to the guy that was sitting watching the, the monitors. We were talking about the bridge on the river Kwai, which that tune is from. And I'm like, that, that was kind of cool. That's so, kind of weird. 
you could you, see, you could turn that into a nice ghost story. Sure, sure. I really don't think it was, but it was cool. <laughs> you know that that is the fascinating thing about coincidence sometimes, and especially if you're in a situation a situation where it's drumming up natural fears, anyways. I think it's cool that you guys kept it professional, though. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it yeah, wouldn't make any sense if you're if you're trying to pull pranks on each other. No, we've seen other groups that, that every little bang, oh, oh, that's a ghost, or yeah. or there's, I mean, because I'm a photographer and, and a videographer, I know what happens with lenses. So you'll get everybody, oh, there's orbs. No, it's it's dust in front of the lens. Uh, you know, we've done that in people's houses with those security cameras. Oh, look, there's a there's an orb. And I go, hang on a second, I'm gonna walk in that room. You know either you know bang on the couch or something in the room and all of a sudden oh my god there's thousands of orbs yeah because i've stirred up all this dust which is now in front of the lens and the lights coming out of the lens bouncing directly off of that right back into like so yeah so we were good we wouldn't every little bang every little thing we saw was not a ghost yeah sometimes the simplest solution is is what the actual answer is is, right uh the thing that drives me crazy sometimes when it comes to documentaries and whatnot is when they try to uh, steer your emotions with music or or even or even kind of make fun of a situation with music and, and kind of gear you in those ways. It's gotta be, it's very difficult. I mean, I'm an observer of films. You're an actual filmmaker. Uh, I'm sure you can speak to that a heck of a lot more than I oh, can. Even in our little uh, proof episodes that we did, um, we'd use creepy music whenever possible. If it was part that was an actual investigating part and we had, there was actual sounds we were hearing, we'd never put any music over it. But yeah, I'm trying to tell a story in these little bits that's, interesting and half the time nothing happens so it or it's just feelings oh i felt weird in this well how do i show that here's the thing too since i have a good imagination and i love ghost stories i know that if it was a movie i'd be the asshole who gets (laughs) killed because (laughs) i didn't believe it (laughs) because of course in a movie they're real yeah that's that's a good point how many how many episodes did you guys end up doing of that or Uh, i don't know we did we did so many different investigations um we filmed a lot of them that didn't even nothing happened so we didn't put together any anything from it i think there's a good eight or ten that are on youtube right now and i think if you go to my old channel um just ben stacy or ben stacy pictures i can't remember what it is (laughs) uh there's links on there i'll have to uh i'll have to check that out but i mean all of that all the back and forth to come back to and this is like i said this is the thing i find most fascinating is uh the thing I'm obsessed with with people is their passions and how they get to their passions. You know, find that thing that you love and do it. You know, all the sayings that go with that. But I think all of us look for those, you know, the thing that we want to plant our flag on. And you went on this professional journey and ended up coming back to it, which I, I think is so cool. Uh, and and now you're focused in solely on like production, like movies, like shorts, uh, videos. Uh, also getting into photography and that's led you to do uh, the two men in a canoe and then that went on to the get outside which is now can you explain those two products a little bit for me so the one started out with Tim yeah two men in a canoe started out just um, as a way to document um, our trips and put it Mm -hmm. on YouTube didn't expect much of it but about I don't know a year or so in I thought you know what I'm gonna this is good. I'm going to keep doing this and start promoting it more. Um, it was a little frustrating because originally I put those on my Ben Stacy YouTube channel. Then I created a YouTube channel specifically. So two men in a canoe is a YouTube channel now where that exists, but by migrating stuff over where I was getting thousands of views before, suddenly it wasn't getting found. 
and oh. you know it's tough to get hundreds but you know you just got to keep keep at it keep producing stuff and get it out there so pretty much every single uh backcountry camping trip as well as some other you know if it's i'm up for the day or something like that paddling or hiking um i may film that if it's going to be interesting and and that all goes on the two men in a canoe uh youtube channel and then the opportunity came up to pitch a show to bell uh, for bell five tv one frankly it was, it was a, a very easy pitch um normally you have to write out everything that you're uh, you that you want the show to look like and I sort of put the basics and I said basically it's going to be a bit like this and just link to <clears throat> two men in a canoe so they could see oh okay I see exactly what you're talking about and uh, yeah so then got to do season one of that didn't know if I was going to get a season two got a season two that was great figured I wasn't getting a season three um, but we did we got a season three and uh, I have pitched a season four but I've also pitched a, a show a bigger show to um pitching it to crave um problem when you pitch though you if it's a yes you'll hear something if it's a no <laughs> you're never going to hear from them ever again so so I, I within the next couple of weeks i'll know if that's happening um but who knows who knows i didn't think i was going to get a season three um and if, if i don't get anything from that then i'll uh, you know find some other way of, of making it but yeah get outside we were just it was exploring different um outside activities uh back country camping, um, going for day paddles, uh, you know, trying stand-up paddle boarding in one episode. Um, and then season three decided to make it uh, a little different. We made it uh, get outside a paddling adventure. So uh, me and this um, guy, I know, uh, Sean Rowley, who uh, does a podcast of his own, Paddling Adventures Radio podcast, uh, decided we wanted to paddle the Trent Severn waterway from Trenton all the way to Port Severn. So that was, uh, that was the journey we had. And quite a journey it was, man. I checked out uh, about half of the episodes. I got I got to episode five, and uh, and best laid plans, eh? Like you, like the things that you <laughs> the things that you run into along the way when you're depending on weather and uh, and well other people, of course, too. But how was the journey? First of all, I, I wanted to ask, did you make it? Yes, obviously. Okay. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> well, I know you, you. I did. I did insist. If any of us die on this journey, it better make it into the show. Oh, absolutely. We're not wasting all this footage that we have. <laughs> just because Unless it was dies. after the show was done filming. I mean, that yeah. would be, uh, it's not, it doesn't sit, it's not on brand. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you went, you guys went from end to end. Pretty much. So what we did, unfortunately, uh, it wasn't a big budget show. So we had a very, very limited budget, which limited our time. We had seven days. Now, when we were planning it, we thought, yeah, we can probably do that. We're both figuring based on our paddling speed, we could probably paddle about four, you know, if we're at a good pace, five kilometers per hour, eight hour days, we could do, you know, 40K a day. Uh, the entire system is 386 kilometers. We thought, yeah, we could, we could probably do that. Um, we were gonna skip a couple of the bigger lakes like Rice Lake and Lake Simcoe, uh, simply because they're, they're big lakes. Any wind is going to make it very difficult, if, if not dangerous. And um, it would just be a slog. Like, it, it wouldn't even be interesting footage. You're just paddling on a lake, right? Yeah. So we knew we were going to skip uh, a couple of sections. We ended up having to sort of skip a few more just because of time. We, we overestimated. No, it's not that we overestimated our paddling ability. We underestimated the time it would take to get through the locks. So for instance, day one, we had planned to do about 40K. 
we started, we actually started a little late as well. So that didn't help, but um, doing no, no problem. But we had, we had, we were planning on reaching lock number eight. So that meant going through seven locks. It takes 15 to 20 minutes to get through a lock. Time that we hadn't really counted <laughs> in right. our planning. So eight locks times 20 minutes, you know, that's, that's two or three hours, right? Plus uh, the couple of lots, we had to wait for the boats to come. So you're, so it takes even longer. So that, that's the one day, if you watch the show, we, we end up stopping at lock seven instead of lock eight. Cause after lock seven, it was about almost 20 K to the next one. And it was about four 30 getting near five o'clock. So we had the option to either stop at the first, at that spot and camp, cause we we're camping at the lock stations along the way or try and keep going. Uh, we did go back in the fall just to complete that section because it was a section that I wanted to do. Uh, and it only took us about three, three and a half hours. So we could have made it. We would have made it in time to set up camp at the lock we wanted to. So out of all the, the skips spots, that's the one I regret if I have to regret any. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it, <clears throat> because we we're on a schedule, we had seven days of shooting time. We also had to be at certain locks on certain days because there was some guest paddlers joining us. We were doing interviews with uh, some of the lock masters and so on. So we ended up having to skip a little bit. So for instance, the first day we ended up at lock seven in the morning, we drove over to uh, start at lock eight and then began our journey from there. And there was a few other spots where we ran into bad weather uh, and, and stuff like that. Oh, I guess you saw the one where we got rained on. Yeah. Where just a black screen comes up and says, we put the cameras away. Oh, no, no, that's, oh, no, before, that was the one before that. that was well, after, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. So the one we got poured on, it was, Episode four, we're making up. To, see, we also run into problems. Yeah, episode, episode four. Yeah, I, I just put three. down. I put down rain. Yeah. <laughs> On day three, we had planned to paddle to um, Young's Point and camp at Young's Point, but it turned out the bathrooms were out of service at Young's Point, so we weren't allowed to camp at Young's Point. So we had to camp at the lock before that, which is about six or seven k before that at um, Lakefield, which was fine, but we had to make up time the next day. So we paddled, we had a tailwind for once. If you're a paddler, you know, you hardly ever get a tailwind. <laughs> so it was amazing. We were doing great time. Made the Young's Point, no problem. From there, we had to paddle all the way to Burley Falls, which was, yeah, that was, a, it's a good paddle. It's, it's uh, it took us pretty much the rest of the day. Uh, but the wind started picking up and coming from the side, it wasn't cooperating that well. But there was a, there's an island right at the top of that big lake. Uh, I think it's called Fairy Lake Island, something like that. And the main uh, channel goes all the way around the top of it. But there's a little tiny sort of passageway underneath it, which we were gonna paddle. It would cut off a good hour of, of paddling. Once we got there, there was a floating warning sign saying, do not go through this channel. There's an invasive algae that'll get on your boat and infect other areas. So don't go through here. I'm like, oh, okay, so we gotta paddle around. And as we're paddling around, we knew that there was a storm coming the sky was getting dark but it was interesting the wind just suddenly changed directions like it was like it was going one way for a second and then stopped turned and came the other direction so we pulled over to the shore and we just got poured on like the canoes filled with good i don't know 10 15 centimeters of water like it was my god and how long did that last for that was a good half hour or so yeah. just standing Jeez. on the shore waiting for it to stop <laughs> So, so yeah, I, played us a bit too. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I saw that uh, that algae thing, and and that was uh, that was pretty crazy. How like was that a pretty big area that that algae was in? Was it that whole? Well, no, it would have been through this little channel that goes under this uh, mm -hmm. like a small little marshy narrow 
channel. So I guess that's why it had algae. I don't know. We didn't go down there, so I don't know. And then yeah, day five, you're talking about where we went to a black screen. We started in Bob Cajun. We're paddling. It was beautiful, calm in the morning. Winds are picking up against us like it always does. Uh, and then picked up a bit more and a bit more. And we had sort of crossed over the lake to get to one side to cut off this big bay. And then we we're heading back across. And when we we're heading back across, it just got, it got really windy. We were getting maybe two and a half foot waves, which in a canoe is pretty big. It's not not fun anyway. Yeah. So, and plus we're trying to, we have filming equipment in the canoe. So you don't want to tip. Yeah. So it took us a long time to get across and we determined, we just ended up having skipped, that was sturgeon, like skipped the rest of, we did about half a sturgeon, like skipped the rest of it and went to Fenelon Falls and then continued from there. But yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Wow. Well, at one point you guys were, the lightning was coming in. You had heard the thunder and the lightning was coming in and uh, you stayed close to the shores. And one of the gentlemen on the, uh, on the, on the episode had said something about a cone of protection being along the shore. Yeah, what um, was that all about? Well, that was day three. We had um, Kevin Cowan. Um, he's known as the happy camper. You find his books all over the place. Um, he's happy. He over. is. Let me tell you, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. that guy is something. Oh, man. He's really he's cool. A very cool personality. He's been all over the news recently with um, the problems of people reserving uh, spots in the provincial parks and is in a pilot program they're running, which is detrimental to backcountry paddlers yeah so he was with us which was great um yeah there was thunder all around um and obviously you don't want to be out on the water if there's lightning it's not a safe place to be uh but by staying close to the shore you're no longer the highest point because there's trees on the shore okay so there's kind of a bit of a like he said a cone of, of protection there if you're right close to the shore and if it had started to get bad because it was still far enough away we could see it wasn't over us, we would have stopped and got out like we did on the next day uh, when there was uh, a thunderstorm. So yeah, be careful. I mean, that's that's something whether you're paddling to film or paddling just on your own, you got to be careful. Wear yeah. your PFD. So many people don't wear their PFDs. I know legally you just have to have it in your boat, but it doesn't do you any good unless you're wearing it. Is that sorry? Is that the your life jacket? Your, your life jacket. Okay. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was I was up with the lingo. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I say a PDF, and I go, "Hey, I'm a second. No, that's um. Yeah, that's a format. That's, uh, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I actually was thinking sunscreen. Uh, I, like I'm always prepared oh, yeah, for, with yeah. sunscreen. So <laughs> good, good idea to wear your sunscreen too on those hot yeah, days. And we had I could sun imagine. Oh, yeah, God. you're out in the canoe. You got no shade. That's for sure. Oh my God, and then it was hot. Reflections up from the water and stuff. When did you guys film that? Was that last? Was that two summers ago? No, it was last summer. It was August. It was last summer. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, because you guys the had week in August. We had. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So other. So you got lightning. That you have to be concerned about you have high winds that you have to be concerned about um a pdf of course and those <laughs> dreaded pdfs <laughs> what what are what are the other concerns that you are when you, like when you're in the in the middle of a, a big body of water like that uh, um, other than other boats gear? actually um power boats a good power boat driver is aware of their environment and aware when there's uh, smaller craft around them like canoes things that can get tipped over by wakes some of them are good and will slow down as they go by you. Others don't care and they'll just keep whipping by. Sometimes the worst, unfortunately, are the ones who think they're doing a good job, but they slow down too close to you. And you know what happens when you slow a boat down suddenly? <sighs> you get this bigger wave. <laughs> You're like, oh man, you should have just kept going. It would have been way easier. Uh, so we did a wake from boats a few times. Um, so I got to give yeah. uh, a credit to our 
film crew because we had um, Michael in one of the canoes with us all the time. So he had to paddle and film as well. So he, yeah, he was pulling double duty. Yeah. And, and then paddle as well. So, yeah, I I know. I remember at one point in time, you, Hey, Michael, how you doing? Surviving. (laughs) He's just chugging back on some water. Um, so you guys were going through locks, which I have to be honest because I'm so ignorant with the outdoors. And I just know that locks are a phenomenal, uh, system that was created like hundreds, you know, like over hundred year old technology, which is fascinating to me, but I had no idea that canoes could actually go through those locks. Yeah, you can. Um, they're actually encouraging, uh, paddlers to paddle more along the waterway. I mean, these aren't huge locks. Like I don't think they'll let a canoe into like the the locks on the St. Lawrence or yeah, you couldn't go through the Suez Canal. uh, (laughs) You're not going to get stuck and block the traffic with a canoe, but uh, yeah. Yeah. um, But it is really, it's really cool. The year before we had done one episode of Get Outside where we did a short little section of the Trent Severn, just like four locks towards Lake Simcoe. And that was, that was a lot of fun. It was really neat. We had got, we were going down the logs in that case. So for this journey, more than half the logs, I was up until day five, I believe, um, we were going all up because the, the, the whole Trent Severn waterway goes sort of uphill from Lake Ontario. The highest point is Balsam Lake. And from there, you start going down again towards Georgian Bay. So I had never been up a lock. I'd only been down a lock in a canoe. And going up is... It's quite different than going down. Down, you just sort of float, you hang onto the side and you just slowly go down, easy. Going up though, the water is rushing in. So uh, depending on where the water comes in in the lock, they'll tell you to position on a certain side. Um, they want you on the side where it's gonna push you towards a wall rather than away from the wall. Um, and they have these sort of wires that hang all the way down that if you're in a boat, you put a, a rope around it. And you know, we did the same, put a little rope around it and you, know, you just sort of, float up with it but uh, it can get pretty rough in there at times we learned later that uh they can control the amount of water that they let through they can either let through you know full open <laughs> which would be really really rough for us or uh quite as open so if it was just us in there it would, they'd let it in at a slower rate um i think when we're at fenelon falls because there's a lot of other boats in there they let it through at the normal rate and it was like it was considerably more <laughs> more rough but it looks really scary. Like when you went into what is, was it, Randy, Randy Falls or? Uh, yeah, there's two sets, um, Randy Falls and Healy Falls. Um, I ha- when I did the scout for this because I hadn't seen all the Trent Severn uh, before. I remember stopping at Healy Falls and just from on the land looking at them, I was like, oh my god, this is scary. The, so a flight lock is when there's two or more locks together, one after the other. So that both Ranny Falls and Healy Falls, there's, it's a, it's a big drop from the bottom to the top. So they can't do it in one lift, they do it in two. So you go into the bottom lock and that's high enough, but because you're immediately going into the next lock, you're looking up the entire height of both locks because there's the lock door for the second lock right in front of you. It is really intimidating. You're looking up and you're in this chasm and you're just hanging on and then you eventually get up to the level of that next door and go through the next door into the next one and then up to the the top level so they were really really cool as soon as i saw those lifts and when you were inside those chasms i was just thinking welcome to jurassic park that's that's the only thing that was going through my mind yeah yeah like there's terrifying there's one on the last day which really felt like that because on our last day we were going from swift rapids 
which is the largest single drop in a, in a normal lock at, or lift or drop. We were going down at that point because it was our third last lock on the way to Georgian Bay. And uh, I think it's 47 feet or something like that. So you go down and you're just looking up at this massive door and then it opens up. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like Jurassic Park. And then you paddle out. It was really cool. That's wild, man. So how many how many lifts did you guys end up making it through then? There's 45 numbers, numbered locks. However, one of them is on a little channel that goes down towards Lindsay, which was nowhere near where we were going. So we didn't do that. So take that down to 44. There's one set of locks. Um, I think it's Burley Falls, which used to be a, flip, a flight lock, which is now a single lock. So there's a missing number there. So it takes it down to 43 locks. And then we... We ended up missing a couple because of time. One was uh, Hastings. So we missed Hastings. We missed one called Lovesick and Buckhorn. And then we, we knew we were going to skip um, on the last day, uh, Kuchiching. So once we got to Lake Simcoe, we knew we were going to skip Lake Simcoe. And then the question was, on our last day, do we go to Kuchiching, paddle to Swift Rapids, Swift Rapids to Big Chute, and then Big Chute to Georgian Bay. But that's like 60 kilometers. <laughs> we knew there was no way we're making it. Because yeah. we had one day left. So we skipped Kuchiching, drove to Swift Rapids, start camped overnight there, and then started there in the morning. So we missed, what, was that four? So we did, we did at least 40, I think 40 lots, 39 lots, something like that. That's pretty damn good for being on such a, a short a short time frame to be able to do yeah. all of that and, and, and we, the setbacks you guys have. We worked it out. The, um, the overall length of the system is 386 kilometers. We paddled, I think about 160. 70 kilometers of paddle, actual paddling, something like that over wow. the course of it, which is pretty cool. And then, and then the, there's the Peterborough lift lock, which most people are familiar with, um, which is amazing too. It's the biggest lift on the whole system. It's a, a lift lock. You go in these, basically a bathtub <laughs> and it lifts up the water and the boats to the top. And then you go out. Uh, and then the coolest, I think, well, it's tough to say, but it's one of the coolest is, and you haven't seen it yet, haven't got to the last episode, uh, the Big Chute Marine Railway. Okay. So the Big Chute Marine Railway, it's one of a kind in the world. There are other marine railways, but they, so basically you go into it and it's, it's on rails. It takes you up onto the land and then down the hill to the other side and puts you back in the water. There are a few other marine railways in the world, but they have like, like again, like a big tub, a bathtub full of water. So the boats come in and water and it lifts the water and everything over. This you go in and if you're in a boat, they'll put you in a sling. If you're in a canoe or a kayak, you just paddle in. And then when it comes out of the water, the water drains away and you end up sitting on the deck and you just go up and then you go down this big giant hill. And then it just goes right back into the water and you start floating again and then you paddle away. Wow. Really, really cool. That's that's wild. Yeah. So so this one here then the third season was a, a theme because you went with oh, yeah it was line. a single journey yeah all the previous two seasons of Get Outside had been individual episodes uh, about different kind of outdoor activities but this one was sort of just one big big long journey which was so what what inspired you guys to do that what what was the thinking behind that and kind Honestly, of I mean, uh, I'd always wanted to try it for one um, in terms of. Uh, filming it uh have you have you seen the show uh the long way round or the long way down no or the long way up um ewan mcgregor the actor you know uh, ben kenobi mm -hmm. oh yes <laughs> um and his buddy charlie borman back like 12 years ago or so 
uh, they're both motorcycle riders. They decided to. Oh, this is the motorcycle were, one. Yeah, okay, they, they did the long way around where they rode around the world, basically on motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Started in uh, Europe somewhere and went through Asia, ended up going through North America, ending in New York. Then the next year, they decided to do the long way down where they started at the top of Scotland and rode their bikes down to the bottom of South Africa. And then 12 years later, they just did it recently, was the long way up where they started at the bottom of South America and rode up to LA. But this time they did it on electric bikes. They had Harley Davidson give them prototype electric bikes. Cool. And uh, did it on electric bikes, which is really cool. So yeah, that in terms of a, a journey kind of thing, seeing that even 12 years ago, I thought I got to do a show like that sometime. Not necessarily motorcycles, but we sure. did it in canoes. So yeah. Right, right on brand, obviously mm. being outdoors and, and so on. So you've, you've tried so many different things in terms of being outdoors. I, I, I got to ask, what is it about the outdoors that that speaks to you so much? Everything that you're doing is outdoors. And and I can see in your videos, and even before we started here, when I said, hey, man, how you doing? You're like, oh, been better. Um, I can see in your videos and your posts online, this COVID thing, obviously being what it is, it's affected people in many different ways. How How is it treating you with this this outdoor adventure that you've been on for the past, you know? It's It's been odd and frustrating. Um, so obviously COVID's affected a lot of people with work. I mean, it affected me with work. I had last year, uh, like a lot of my, my the work that pays the bills <laughs> is yeah. corporate work and, and stuff and a lot of events. So there was like eight events I'd normally do in a year, all gone, like everything gone. Uh, although frankly, this year, it seems to be a, a delayed everything gone. This year's not as good as last year, oh, frankly. Yeah. So I'm a little yeah. worried. Um, but so if you know, anybody knows, <laughs> needs any video production, I'm here, I can do it. Well, I'll put um, that out there. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, so, so there's that, right. That aspect. But for me, what's always kept me sane, whether I'm busy with work or not busy with work is getting outside. Um, being out in nature is just, uh, it recharges your soul. It's, you, you have to worry about the real things, like the stuff we worry about like paying your rent. I mean, I guess they're important. We have to do it. But if you think about it, it's all sh- shit that we've made up. It's not you, you, real. You hit it right on the head, man. I've been having this conversation so much over the past year and a half. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's totally not real. It's stuff that human society has made the rules for ourselves, And that's fine. You know, we, we live by what society's created, but it isn't real. Uh, when you're out in, let's say, the backcountry camping, and the things that you have to worry about are weather, the temperature, um, you know, getting firewood, you know, getting clean water, things that are real, like <laughs> this is, it's really important. It will really affect you. If you don't pay attention to the weather, it can kill you. Like, and it's just, it's, it's humbling in a way because you know, nature is way bigger than you. It's freedom because you aren't worried about all the crap that we worry about in our day-to-day lives. And uh, yeah, it's just amazing. It's, it's what keeps me sane, um, regardless of what's going on. And then what made it bad with COVID was when we, they were talking about lockdowns. I'm like, great, I'll just go camping. I'll be fine. I'm away from people. Oh, you're not allowed to go camping. We're closing all the parks. Oh, and you're not even allowed to go crown land camping. What? I, I can travel without coming hunted with a single person. Even if I have to get gas, I pay at the pump and I'm on the way. So I understand it the first time around. That made sense because we didn't know what was going on. And you don't really want people traveling. 
Uh, and then it happened again this year. So I only have one winter camping trip this year. Uh, well, yeah, in, in 2021, I did get a couple in in December. Mm -hmm. um, normally, I would have had maybe three or four or five um, because they closed the parks. Now, you can go Crown Land camping unless they decide they're going to ban that again. Uh, so it, it got really frustrating for me. And actually, the very the first time, it's the first time, like when, when they first locked down last March, um, I had a camping trip, which was planned and had been canceled, but we didn't know when it was going to open again. Like there was no, it was just like, oh, it's locked down. Yeah, we don't know when. And that's the first time in my life I've ever felt, I don't know if, if you could call it anxiety or something, but I was, first of all, angry and... I felt like there was a couple of days in a row where my chest was tight and like, it was hard to breathe. I'm going, this isn't good. Like mm -hmm. I got to get out. So I just started going for walks, but uh, yeah, it had a drastic effect. And then even this year when they locked us down, I uh, had that feeling a little bit again. So a little worried that they're talking about lockdowns again, but I have no problem with following the protocols that we need to for COVID. I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. What gets me upset is when they're taking away the things that keep, me saying and probably a lot of other people saying like i can live with losing business what the fuck i mean it's not great yeah um but whatever but then taking away the thing that keeps me sane is not good so i, I think what gets me frustrated with it all is it's it's it feels like when you're in school and one kid is misbehaving and the whole class gets detention it's yeah. the idiots out there who aren't following the protocols i don't need to wear a mask oh i'm gonna get together with all my buddies oh at work we don't need to wear masks and, and you hear about all these stories and then it's, there's a bigger spread again. And they go, oh, we got to lock everything down. No, lock down, focus your lockdowns. Find out where it's spreading. Focus mm -hmm. your attention there because it's not spreading by people going out into the forest and camping. I guarantee, I, I, I'm sure I'd be, you maybe get one case. Like I, I can't <laughs> even imagine that there's even one case of people doing it from, from camping in the back country anyway. So. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that that's the case. And, and I think the thing for me that uh, I at least commend Ontario with is not making it against the law. They, they did put in bylaws and you can get fined and stuff like that, but it's not like it is in Montreal and Quebec where it's actually against the law and mm, you can, yeah, yeah. you can actually, you know, uh, you can be in serious trouble, but I agree with you. Last year was the most I've ever walked outside in my entire life just because, and, uh, and, and it was freeing, you know, especially, especially just after the lockdowns or, or the restrictions were kind of lifted and everyone was getting outside. Everybody was saying hi to each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, even here in Durham and I'm like, we're, we're not in like small town Newfoundland. This is Durham. It's the same Durham that everybody just walks right by each other. But in those early days of being released and back into the wild, everybody was really happy. And, you know, the, the warmer weather always brings out a smile on people and a, and a step, yeah. you know, a spring in your step, and right? You can't, you can't tell people you can't do that, especially now it's too late to tell people you can't do that. I think you, you, people will just start ignoring it. Mm -hmm. Again, I wish they would just focus on where, where spread is happening. Like if spread was truly happening from people going camping, fine, lock it down. But it just feels like we're doing a bunch of half measures. Like, I know we're not an island, so we couldn't have done like what New Zealand did, but what did they lock down for like six weeks or something like that? And mm -hmm. at the time, it was like, this is terrible. We're, we're not doing anything. Yeah, but now they don't have anything. Like, yeah, just pull the freaking Band-Aid off. We're just going so slow. Oh, this oh, a little little more off. Oh, we'll put it back on a bit. And yeah, it's, yeah. 
the the back and forth is so frustrating. I've always been under the impression they're just waiting for the uh, the vaccination to be rolled out wide, so that way they can know what to do. And everything else in the meantime not, is not just fast enough. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I trust me. I I believe you on that one. I mean, just now, elderly people that we know personally getting the vaccine. Yeah, my mom got her first. Person. Oh, she did. Excellent. Lucky Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to be this way for a little while, right? That's why this year actually concerned me more than last year. Um, yeah, because for me, it, I mean, it's it's an interesting conundrum. Um, obviously, people like me who film get outside encourage people to get outside. It's good for people to get outside. Um, last year, because of COVID, and then again this year, because there's nothing else happening, more and more people are going camping. So it's 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 ramped. Like you cannot get a campsite. It's even very difficult to get a backcountry campsite. Hmm. Um, they are totally totally full. I think that will change once we get back to normal, like 2022, whatever, it's probably going to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we tried the, the the camping thing and, you know, that was fun, but, you know, we'll do something else this year. Uh, but it's just, it's just crazy. Um, so it's great that people are getting out. It's very frustrating when you used to be able to just go up to the park and go, yeah, I feel like camping this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to go up and see what's available. Nothing will be available. You have to book like five months in advance. It's crazy. The other, other issue we have now is people that are trying things like backcountry camping that have no experience doing it. And that's a little dangerous. And also you run into the kind of people who leave all sorts of crap, don't respect mm-hmm. the environment, don't understand, leave no trace camping uh, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, if you are going to try and do backcountry camping for a time, do it. It's amazing, but try and find somebody that's gone before, go with them um, mm. or at the very least do some research on it and respect the environment that you're in. I, Unfortunately, I think with the amount of people going, it's not being as respected and it's going to have a negative impact on the parks and stuff like that. So, and a negative impact on crown land because a lot of people now, because the parks are full, are going to try doing crown land camping. You go crown land, you're just going wherever. And, you know, there isn't the sort of the safety net of at least there's a route that people can follow to find me. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So, yeah, it's a little, it's, it's tricky. It's just, it's a little frustrating, but. I was going to ask that because last year I actually noticed that there is a, a lot of people on the golf courses and I'm, I'm not like, I'm not a professional golfer by any means, but everybody and their mother and brother and sister and aunts and uncles were out there for the first time. And they were kind of hacking up the courses. And yeah. so it kind of put me in that same thing. So it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. So what are some, I've never can't, I've never back. Uh, oh. I've never, yeah, I've never done it before. So All what right. would be so some we're of the, to take you out with me sometime? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I think you had, you, we talked about this last time and you're like, yeah, you know, we were just on the verge of, uh, of your winter escapades at that yeah, point in time. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, man, I don't know if I could do winter camping, but <laughs> winter camping so awesome. let's go back to the question first. And then I want to, I want to know, like, if you have preferences, weather wise, uh, because I mean, being out in the snow is is very nice at times. Of course, there's other things that are probably not so nice. But so, what would be some of your advice then for people who do want to try it for the first time, other than go with somebody that uh, that knows what they're doing? Try it just backcountry camping, or yeah, just backcountry camping in general. Camping. Okay, so yeah, go at a good time of year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the average Which person is probably not going to want us to try winter camping to start with. So I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. suggest that. If things go wrong when you went to camping, they can go really wrong. So, yeah, uh, pick a good, nice, warm time of year. You know, what? late summer, uh, early falls, a great time for weather. A lot less bugs. It's still going to be warm. So that's one thing. Uh, pick a route that you can do, whether you're backpacking or paddling. 
Um, if you've never paddled before, please go with somebody who has because you're out on the water. It, if you tip over, you, at best, you're you know getting all your gear wet. Uh, at worst, you're going to drown, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, be very, very careful. Um, know what you're doing, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, just plan out your route. Make sure it's something that you can do if you're backpacking. You know, be aware that you're hiking with a big, heavy bag on your back. <laughs> so you're not going to be able to hike as far as you normally do. One of the biggest things is leave no trace camping. You're entering what is considered basically like wilderness. Um, so you don't want to be leaving garbage around. Most of the provincial parks have bans on cans and bottles um, because they become garbage out there. You, uh, you want to take stuff, any garbage you have, you either pack out with you or if it's burnable, you can burn it. And burn it completely though um, because you don't want to leave any food scraps uh, around because that will attract all sorts of animals bears you know that kind of thing you don't want to have any trouble with them yeah no those are the last people i want to pick a fight with <laughs> yeah and then just be prepared for all kinds of weather no matter when you're going no matter what the forecast is be prepared for rain you don't want to get wet have extra sets of clothes in case you do get wet yeah be prepared for have, being cold at night i mean it may not be cold but even though you know it's going to be cooler so have something that's going to keep you warm um yeah just be prepared basically uh, you can learn a lot from the videos that people put out online. There's a lot of good campers that put out uh, videos on YouTube and stuff. So uh, definitely uh, learn from them. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll plug. Uh, oh, look that. So with, this me. is the beautiful thing. <laughs> Actually got a meow in there too. Yeah. That's great. I'll so I don't even have to tell them. That's, that's adorable. This is it. So, you know, the thing I love about the, the zoom world that we're in right now is that there's interruptions from all sorts. And yeah. that, that was actually an adorable little walk by. I'll take it. I'll take an opportunity to plug two men in a canoe, get, get, get on YouTube, check that out. Because I watched a couple of your videos, the one from March and then the one from December. Uh, Cause I was curious about the winter camping aspects. As I said, I've never winter camped. The closest I've been to winter is May two for when we used to go with, <laughs> with Scotty and all those guys. And there was one morning where we woke up and there was like frost on the ground. And I was like, <laughs> nah, this is, I had to get a heater. Uh, but you guys are out there in the actual snow and you guys got hit with all sorts of weather in December uh, yeah. when it was raining and sleeting and all so, it was disgusting. So throughout the year, okay, spring, actually, frankly, April is probably the worst time to go camping. Like it's, oh, okay. it still can be cold, a lot of rain. It's, it's not that nice, it's mucky. Early May is great. There's no bugs yet. It's starting to get warm. It's usually fine. Um, late May, bugs start coming. And then you get, June is awful too because you get swarmed by black flies and mosquitoes. Uh, still worth going, but be prepared for that. We're a bug net and stuff. July and August are a bit better. September, October is fantastic. Uh, even into November. November, you could end up winter camping by mistake. Um, but then, yeah, then winter. Winter is amazing. I think I've done it now for about six or seven years, something like that. First, the, the cool thing is, the best thing, <laughs> there's no bugs. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, that's great. No bugs at all. But it, it, you got to be dressed for it. You want to have good, good winter gear, like winter coat, ski pants, snow pants, something like that. Good boots. You don't want your feet getting cold. And frankly, it's actually, I, I like it best when it's about minus five to minus 15 or so. Uh, if it gets above zero, it's fine if it's a sunny day, but if it's at all wet and it's above zero, it's horrible. 
uh, even this this last uh, December, we had it got a little bit too warm, and we mm. had sort of sleet and 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 rain, which turned a bit to freezing rain, and then eventually it went down to about minus ten overnight, and then everything froze again. So if you get wet, it's very hard to get dry. If you get wet and then the temperature drops, everything's freezing, uh, mm-hmm. and if it's you, you can get hypothermic, and it, it's not good. So you've got to be prepared if you're winter camping. Um, do a lot of research. Definitely go with somebody. Try it for, at a campground first. Uh, I know in Algonquin Provincial Park they keep uh, the Mew Lake campground open for the winter, so people will camp there. A lot of people use hot tents too, which are really cool. Um, Is that the tent that but, you were using in in March when you went? Um, so yeah, I've kind of got a. I, I'm generally a cold tenter, which means you're just camping in a regular tent and have a good warm sleeping bag and uh, and insulation underneath you. And I'm usually fine. I mean, I've camped in minus 35, I think is the coldest. Oh, wow. We've camped in and I've been fine. It is cold, but, <laughs> but I've been fine. Um, and actually, frankly, probably the best thing to do if you're cold, get up and start moving around. Like every morning, first thing I did, I wouldn't start a fire. I would get up and just go for a 20 minute hike. Oh, okay. Immediately, because you get your body moving, you generate heat and you're, you're warm. Right. Um, but yeah. A lot of people will hot tent, which means they have a, usually it's a big canvas tent with a wood stove inside. Oh, okay. Um, there are other ways you can modify other tents and they have a wood stove. Um, I just recently bought uh, an ice hut and modified okay. that to have a wood stove in it. It's a little bit tight. You can just barely fit a single cot in there. I was using a cot to sleep on in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and the wood stove. And yeah, it's nice and warm. You can keep nice warm, but you need a lot of wood. It's a lot more work. So if, if you're not sure you're going to like winter camping, just cold tent. Go yeah. to one of the campgrounds. If you go to like, let's say the Mule Lake campground in Algonquin, at least there's a comfort station there you can go use. You can get water because water's tough to get when it's frozen. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's bathrooms you can use. There's a place you can go to get warm. You have your car there if there's an emergency. So it's much safer. Do that a few times. And that's exactly what I did the very first time I camped. Camped at a regular campground uh, in the winter. Um, you can still go hike all the trails and stuff in the daytime, but at least you're in a place that's relatively safe. Uh, so and, and safety being and safety being so important, like you said. Oh, yeah. In the winter, it doesn't take much to, like I said, you get slightly wet. Even if it's you're hiking and you're sweating, you get if you don't take your layers off and, and you get wet, mm. you're not drying off, and then the temperature drops and you're gonna freeze. Mm. So yeah, and then it's also tricky with food in the winter too. You gotta. In the summertime, you're trying to keep your food cool. Like you bring stuff that will spoil. You're trying to keep it cool. In the winter, you have the opposite problem. You're trying to keep it from freezing. I've had, you know, brought the first time I went, I brought stuff that I shouldn't have brought. I brought some cheese. I brought some like salad. Yeah, that's no good because it freezes overnight the first night and then it's useless. <laughs> so um, what I'll often do is have a little cooler bag and every night I'll boil some water, put it in a, in a water bottle put that in there just to keep the temperature in the cooler just slightly above zero and that seems to work but yeah no it's 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 more work winter camping but it's it's really rewarding the the scenery in the winter is just fantastic it's magical well it's work seemed to be the thing that that jumped out to me the most like i was saying it felt like the gathering portion of hunting gathering when you were winter camping because you would get there you know you hiked in and then you set up your your tent you figure some things out and then you guys ended up having to go get wood and with your with your wood stove 
you were basically doing that in stages where, you know, you would kind of heat up the tent before going to sleep and then sleep. And then you would wake up in the morning. So that way you could heat it up again. So that way, when you actually got up, you were warm. Yeah. I've only used my, the hot tent properly mm. for a couple of nights once. And uh, yeah, so it's nice. You can get a fire going at night. And here's the thing, even with a campfire, um, when you went to camping, depending on like late March is not so bad. You're have about the same amount of uh, daylight as you do end of September. Mm. But when you go in December, it's dark at four o'clock. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and even if you have just a regular campfire that you want to sit around, even if you're sitting up to eight o'clock, that's four hours of having a fire. You need a lot of firewood for that. So, yeah. you know, we'll be sitting around a campfire going, oh, is it time to go to bed yet? What time is it? It's six o'clock. What the <laughs> heck? Oh my God. It feels like it's like 10. Um, and then of course it doesn't get light until later in the morning. So you're in bed and you're like, can I get up yet? Oh my God, it's five o'clock. Like, <laughs> so, Do you ever run into a situation where you guys are kind of without wood? Like, I mean, I know you're in the woods, of course, but I mean, like you're well, also- it's, it's tough to find it. So we've run into situations where the wood has been like in last December, it was, uh, it was, had been wet and it's sleet. So any wood that we could get, had been soaked from rain and then frozen. So it was really hard to get a fire going. So here's the thing, gathering wood for any time of year if you're backcountry camping, do not cut down live trees. First of mm. all, you're, you're destroying live trees, which is not good. Second of all, they won't burn. The wood is green, it's not gonna burn. Uh, you want dead standing trees or scavenged dead branches and stuff like that. Uh, like if you find a tree that's dead and it's standing, it, that means it's dry. If you give it a push and it snaps, yeah, you're good. You you're get a good. push in it bendy. Well, that means it's alive. Don't knock it over. Um, and yeah, you'll find basically we kind of look at it and go, okay, when the pile looks like we got enough, let's get like five or 10 times what we've got there to last you know, <laughs> the night. Cause it depends how big you want a fire too. If you want a small little tiny fire, great. But if you want something to keep you warm, <laughs> you're going to need more. Which is the key. Yeah. But with, with the hot tent, when I tried it this year, um, yeah, I was able to have a fire going when, when I went to sleep, which was great. Um, and then you can wake up during the night and keep stoking it if you want, but you'd have to do that every like half hour or so. Yeah. Uh, I have a good sleeping bag, which I use in my cold tent all the time. So I was fine, but it was really nice in the morning to be able to roll over and light a fire, get it warm in there before I had to get up. So that was, that was nice. I noticed that uh, when Tim was sitting there and I think I had heard this from way back in the day that he likes to go up there and like write music or poetry or something along those lines. I, he does I something. To, yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know if I asked he says him about he's, that. He writes, I've asked him what he's writing me. Oh yeah. Just writing some songs. Goes, well, are you ever going to sing them? No, no, they're just for me. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> I think it was cool, man. Like he just <laughs> seems to be, he, he actually seems like he's communing. He's just there. Yeah, he's just yeah. kind of being inspired by so so what is it for you is it uh is it the hiking is it all of it is it is it's it a bit it of all of that feminine? i do yeah. like i do like just occasionally sitting around and just being with nature um mm -hmm. i do get antsy if i'm like tim will sit around camp all day if, if he want if he could like he, he enjoys that he enjoys gathering wood and you know having plenty of wood for a big fire i'm not as i don't need to have a big fire so i less interested in gathering as much wood as we need necessarily but I, I i like to explore so i like to get out go for a hike wherever i am or paddle if we're paddling and you know in order to hike you can paddle and explore yeah it's it's just nice to explore new places and and try new things it is fun to push yourself sometimes too a lot of the time we'll go into places that are fairly easy to get to or might be a little tough to get to but then we sort of stay in one spot rather than moving 
every single day, but there is something about moving every single day. It's what we did on Get Outside too, was the, we were doing a journey, which is a lot of fun too. Mm -hmm. So it can be fun both ways, just going out there and relaxing or going out there to push yourself and, and see how far you can go. Yeah, I could see how relaxed you were though when you when you sat in some of those chairs. Like after a long day of either paddling or getting the campsite set up and getting wood, like when you sat in that chair, I felt like I was relaxing because you you did. You put in a day. It's not like you went from the office to the couch. You're yeah. actually using your body for what it's meant to do, which is move around. Yeah, no, it's it's good. And and honestly, too, um, when you're back country camping, I mean, some people worry about uh oh i gotta bring you don't you don't need to bring clothes for every single day okay. you're out you're out in the forest you could be dirty you're gonna be smelly you're, it's <laughs> you, you don't need all the stuff you've got if you're just like if you're going on a trip somewhere else like plus you don't want to be smelly for like smelly with pretty smells because it'll attract bears to your tent too so yeah that's what i, I gotta say with. though so I, i'm used to being stinky and smelly from backcountry camping trips but i'll tell you the way we smelled on the get outside a paddling adventure after seven days oh my god it was horrible like it was horrible for ourselves oh god. and it was a different kind of stink than the backcountry stink I, maybe it's because backcountry were mixed with smoke i don't know it, and i mean because there were full long days paddling in like really hot it was it was it was awful <laughs> oh my god yeah i could only imagine like you guys were sweating profusely yeah if we do it again we're gonna find places where we i think Part of the problem was I don't think the shower is open at the, the locks because of COVID. So the bathrooms oh. open. I don't think, pretty sure the showers weren't. So uh, if we do it again, we're going to we'll go swimming or something because <laughs> we'll need it. Just to get that film off of you. Well, we so it's so once, but it was uh, very slimy and, and a lot of algae where we oh. were. We didn't put it in the episode, but I had sat down on the, on the ground and then got up. I was, I guess I sat in the rocks in the water and got up and it, they, they have footage of me. It looks like I had an accident in my shorts <laughs> with all algae, just all down the back. Oh man. Hey, well, let's just blame it on the algae. I mean, who's, gonna, who's really good. I, hey, no, I, I believe you, man. I, tr I trust you. I trust you. So you said you were looking to pitch a project to Crave. Can we get a idea of what the project yeah, basically is? Basically we want to do similar to what we did in season three of Get Outside. We want but we want to do uh, bigger and uh, with more time so that we can actually basically it'd be a road trip on water so we can basically stop in explore some of the towns and the places that we uh, come across you know meet some of the people along the way uh, spend a little bit more time not paddling and you know exploring the places that we go to mm -hmm. so the idea is it would be 30 days we would start up in Georgian Bay we would do the whole Trent Severn again because there's some really cool places we didn't get to stop which you'd like to like I know along the section between swift rapids and big shoot there's like there's a restaurant that's a boat in only restaurant like there's no land that's so to. cool so that'd be kind of cool to stop in and see um but then we would get to trenton and then we would paddle along lake ontario to kingston and then from kingston go up the rideau system and end in ottawa so oh amazing would the, that would be the plan that if it's about 700k over 30 days wow yeah that's that's if if that pitch goes, if not, I uh, have pitched a fourth season of get outside where we would just do the Rideau system over okay. 10 days though. So it'll give us a little bit more time. So we could probably paddle the whole way. That's cool. So you think you're going to, you want to stick with the paddling? You want to continue on what you were doing in season three? I'd like to do that. Yeah. Cause that was so fun. It'd be so, and we want to do it again, but take our time. 
So we do that. Um, yeah, I mean, and potentially do other different shows, whatever. I'd be not, I'm also looking to do stuff that's not just outdoor stuff. But if I can combine the things I want to do, the adventures I want to do and film it and make a show out of it, why not? Yeah, that would be so cool. I mean, one of the things that I actually thought was really cool was when you and Tim went in and you checked out the, um, the Algonquin uh, Museum. The oh, just the visitor the, center, I think. Just yeah. the visitor there's center. a visitor center. There's also the logging museum, which we often go to check out in the winter. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought it was cool because to be honest, I've only been to Algonquin. I think I've been to Algonquin once and mm. uh, I, I, so I haven't explored it at all, but I didn't even know that they had that there. And it was like, oh, that's cool. It's, it's basically like a mini ROM or even, you know, Ontario yeah. Science yeah. Center. Yeah. Like it's got some pretty cool things in there. So it would be nice for these little areas if you could kind of highlight things other than ice cream, but I will say this. Yeah, we had ice cream three times. I, I'm, a bi- I'm a big fan of ice cream and you guys were hitting all those ice cream joints since Korth is, is like, mm-hmm. oh, God, yeah, yeah, I could see why. Where did that obsession come from? Is that just-, just I don't uh, normally eat a lot of ice cream, but first day we got to that lock where we ended up staying and our uh, our crew that was on the ground that was there ahead of us. And you know, we had the option, do we continue paddle to the eighth lock? another almost 20, like 18k or something like that or did we stop here for the night and it was we we're going back and forth and then you know eventually uh buddy john who's uh, the crew goes you know they have there's a little store across the road they have ice cream and i'm like all right fine we'll uh, <laughs> we'll stay here <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's you don't have to convince people when there's good ice cream around uh one other thing i was thinking about is personalities when you're doing these types of things when mm-hmm. you're doing uh either whether it's camping or the uh, the canoe or the paddling like you guys were doing how much consideration do you personally pay to to personalities along the way because that can be i could only imagine a little bit uh frustrating at times yeah um it's interesting with even with tim we get along but there's different things that we we do differently. Like, uh, like I said, he'll be happy to just sit and relax all day, you know, doing puzzles, gather a bit of wood, whereas I may like to explore a little. Um, so it's just, we know each other well enough to like not push each other's buttons. if, <laughs> if we Yeah, just to. give people their space. Yeah, I gotta say there, there was one time, I don't even realize it if, if Tim realizes how much it bugged me. We were camping on this one lake and it was the day we were leaving and I was up and ready to pack. You could see that the weather was turning. It was going to rain later. Uh, I was ready, packed up, ready to go by about 10 o'clock. Tim likes to take his time, likes to make some breakfast, likes to uh, relax as he's putting stuff away. So he was finally ready about noon, even though I said, listen, look, there's some bad weather coming through. It, we're going to get rained on. Literally, as soon as we put in the canoe to leave, it started raining and it poured and it poured the whole way out. We had about a seven or eight kilometer paddle, plus a, like a 750 meter portage to do. All in the rain, got soaked. I don't think I said a single word <laughs> the whole way out. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, but it took us about two hours to get out. We would have been getting there just as it started to rain and we would have been in the car dry <laughs> oh my so, god so that's probably the one time i was a little pissed but yeah i think it's choose who you go with carefully um yeah having said that i think like i love taking new people that haven't gone before i want them to enjoy it but i think it's important that they they struggle a little bit it shouldn't be completely easy mm-hmm. because i think that is what really gets you a respect for nature Here, here's what it's going to be you're 
whether you enjoy it or not, you're going to learn a lot about yourself, mm-hmm. no matter who you are. Like, I'm not talking about going for one night. Like if you, if you anybody can do one night and if they don't like it, oh, that sucked, whatever. Uh, go for two or three nights at least. That will push you. Like, like I said, you may, may have a horrible time, but you're going to learn so much about yourself being out there and having to deal with, like I said, the, the stuff that really matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the stuff that doesn't care how you feel. Yeah, there's no safe zones there. Eh? There's no there's no safety warnings in terms of somebody said something wrong to you, so yeah. go sit in a corner somewhere. I think that's one of the appreciations that I really had just in watching the videos for Two Men in a Canoe um, alone because I you get this idea of what camping is. And I've been camping before, but my camping is not camping. My camping is not difficult at all. My camping is very easy. And so to just watch you guys doing some stuff, I was like, you know, there is something to be said about doing actual physical work and then enjoying <laughs> you know the outdoors on top of that yeah um, I, took, I took a friend of mine last not, uh, last august the second the previous august or so i think it was august for the first time a friend of, a friend of mine that my a friend of mine and my sisters that we have known since i was like 14 she's not a camper she had only been car camping once and that was with my sister a couple of weeks before i took her back country camping but she said yeah i'd like to try it i'm like okay cool so we went for two nights. Um, she did amazing. Like I was super impressed uh, how well she did. Um, and she seemingly enjoyed it very much. Uh, we actually saw, uh, she heard wolves that night, first time camping. Oh my God. We had a, a, some otters swimming by. We were hiking on a trail and we came across a bear. Like I've seen three bears total. She gets to see a bear her very first time. <laughs> out there <laughs> so that was cool i sense a little bit of uh, hostility there <laughs> but did amazing and then last year she goes hey I, you know can we do that again i'm like yeah sure so took her on, on a second trip so it, it's it's cool when some, so so she describes car camping as basically tailgating oh yeah for kind sure kind of like what it is compared to real camping getting out in the backcountry and really experiencing nature. Well, I told you two years ago that I'm down. Um, I, I would love it because I think one of the things that I get intimidated by is I don't know what the hell I'm doing out there. And and I wouldn't just run out in the woods. Just, I know how to do this. I know that I don't know how to do this. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like okay, I love nature. Well, I'll definitely take you. We just got to find because of all the campsites being booked up. I know. Oh my God. I know. How are you for weekdays? Weekdays are easier to do. <laughs> Weekends, okay, forget it. You're screwed. You're not getting out there. I'll have to check my schedule. <laughs> there you go. That's kind of what I wanted to chat with you about, man. I wanted to chat with you about your journey. I wanted to see what was going on. I wanted to uh, especially put out there what you're currently doing mm-hmm. uh, because I think it's amazing. I, I I commend you greatly on kind of going through the certain professional things that we are supposed to do, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and uh, and actually finding out that that wasn't what you wanted to do. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and your analogy of the, uh, of the young indie and, uh, and that, that is great, man. I, I, I've been looking for different stories. I love different analogies like that. That one there is golden. I really, yeah, really like that. Like, yeah. I, I was surprised how good I'm like, that is exactly, exactly right. <laughs> Damn. Is there anything else that you would want people to know at this point in time as to what you're doing, where they can find you? I'm going to include all your links and, and everything um, like that. Yeah, Anyways. I mean, go, go to Two Men in a Canoe uh, on YouTube. 
love it if you subscribe and watch. If you have any questions about uh, backcountry camping at all, find one of the videos, ask questions on that. Periodically, I'll do sort of live question and answer, or I can just answer questions. I'll do answering videos. So if, if I get enough questions from people on various videos that I can put together a video that's answering questions, happy to do that. And you can watch Get Outside if you have uh, Bell as your cable provider. It's on 5TV1, which is channel one. It's there on demand. Okay. Of, uh, service. I highly recommend people going out there and checking them out too, because like I said, I, I get a new appreciation for the type of camping that you do. Uh, which is actually very real. And, and then the, the get outside was, that's an awesome little journey. Uh, I'm going to go back and check out the first couple of seasons after I finished the first mm -hmm. or the third uh, doing things slightly out of order, but actually I, get I outside cool. season one is available on the two men and a community YouTube channel. The other seasons okay. are not currently oh. on YouTube. Um, where would, where would somebody find season two on bell uh, five on TV bell. one? Yeah. Potentially. Um, looking at creating like a Patreon for two men in a canoe. So I may be able to, once the rights revert back to me for the show, I'll put, that'll be pretty, maybe one of the perks. You know, we'll see. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got to try and make a living doing what I like to do. So. Well, yeah. Hey, a little bit here, a little bit there, but yeah. then it also gives people information and, and it educates mm -hmm. them. And, and I, I actually felt like I picked up some stuff along the way, but at the very least I picked up a, an interest in, in checking this out with somebody who's been doing it for many years uh, who clearly knows what they're doing, which it looks like you are because you're still alive. Even yeah. though you've got COVID hair and stuff, I think that your, your camping hair that you commented on off, uh, <laughs> off recording, uh, looks totally fine. Don't oh, worry. Yeah. It's, it's the video's not permanent, permanent bedhead slash. <laughs> you know, it's going to look weird when I get a normal haircut again. I'm going to, who the hell is that? <laughs> you better take a snapshot of this or just yeah. ask me for the video. I'll, I'll shoot it over to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Listen, Ben, thank you very much, man. I really appreciated uh, you taking the time out of your, yeah, no your schedule to, to sit down with me. And, and I, I think that uh, I love what you're doing. Keep, keep coming up with ideas, man, and, and keep me informed as to what's going on. I'd love to have you back on in the future. Yeah, a lot of fun. Happy to. Awesome, buddy. Well, you take care of yourself and uh, stay safe out there. Bye.